Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to Open Book. I'm an entrepreneur and a proud Long Islander. I founded an investment firm, Skybridge Capital, and also the SALT Conference. I spent 11 days in the White House. It was 11, not 10, so we're clear. What you may not know about me is I'm the father of five. I come from a hardworking Italian immigrant family, and I still live about two and a half miles from my mom and dad. I'm inherently curious, and when I'm not working, spending time with my family, or crying about the New York Mets, it's a lot to cry about there, trust me, you'll find me with my nose in a book. I started this show because I'm always interested in learning. I care about so many different things, certainly today's current causes like the environment or racial equality, all of these things are super important, but also about the state of America, the state of our health and our fitness, our mental health. What about our kids' future? These are things that I'm interested in. I think a lot about history and the context of how history is affecting today's society. This is Open Book. In this show, I'll bring on interesting guests in business, politics, entertainment, health and fitness, psychology, and we'll go deep into a piece of their work, whether it's a highly anticipated book, an in-depth feature story, or an opinion piece that has captured my attention. I want to share it with you. We'll dig into it, why it matters, why it matters to me, why I think it should matter to you, and how their work is shaping our future. On today's episode, I talk with chairman of O'Leary Ventures and Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. Cohort Truth, that's the title of Kevin's first book, and what a place to start, whether it's in the boardroom, on television, or in day-to-day life, Kevin always tells you how it is. And whether you like it or not, I think that's the best way to be, but take it from someone who's been friends with him for a while, he's a great guy and one hell of a dinner guest. We discuss the FTX blowup, which punched us both in the nose. Sam Bankman-Fried, his testimony and what we think happened. Reviving crypto and its future. We get personal on failure, family, and regrets. And all things Shark Tank and entrepreneurship. Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful. But more importantly, at least for this podcast, he's the author of three best-selling books, Cold Hard Truth, Men, Women, and Money, and Family, Kids, and Money. 
Two of those books sound like horror stories to me, Kev. I read them, however. There was like getting a PhD in psychology. But let's start with the cold, hard truth. Recently, we've both been blasted in the media over our cryptocurrency investment. What's the cold, hard truth right now, Kev? Well, you know, I, in the context of um, the cold, hard truth with family, men, women, and money, let's go back there because it's timeless. The messaging there is timeless. And what I tried to talk about is that that family member that nobody wants to acknowledge. It's called money. When you form a relationship with a significant other and you decide that you're going to take a shot at spending your life together and growing a family, regardless of you know what your gender is or what your preferences, I don't care about any of that. At the end of the day, what matters is you are forming a business relationship because you have to somehow fund your family. And that is an obligation you have for the rest of your life. Love them, leave them, it doesn't matter. You have children, it gets even more important. And I, I what I tried to do in writing that book, which I thought was going to be a very easy task. It took me over two years, the first book, because I really wanted to get it right, is, is to acknowledge at an early age that you've got to teach your children about money and you yourself have to admit your own weaknesses associated with it. What I find so fascinating, the number one piece of research I learned on that first book is when I went to the divorce lawyer community and started asking these lawyers, what is the reason people seem to break up their unions between the fifth and seventh year in America, which is basically where 50% of marriages end in that time period? He said, it's not infidelity. It's financial stress. People outspend each other. They don't understand each other's obligations. They get into really bad places with money, and that breaks up a marriage. So if you don't think money has a place in the bedroom, you're 100% wrong. It is the bedroom. I, you know, listen, I agree with you. My, my parents, I like to tell people, are Catholic. So they put 300 years of fighting into a 65-year marriage. And of those 300 years of fighting, 299 and a half were related to money, Kevin. So I, I totally get that. But you're the cold, hard truth guy. You have to be cold and hard and truthful with yourself as well as an entrepreneur. And what I find about entrepreneurs that have a high profile, the press has a tendency to magnify the mistakes more than the successes. So how do you deal with the cold, hard truths related to your own success and failures? And how do you deal with the press related to it? Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I totally agree with you. And, I, and we both live in that world. What, what I've learned, um, and this is really a, a recent phenomenon, I would say over the last three years, this has come to pass. There's a, there's a great benefit to having um, celebrity and having social media. And, and it, it's a two-edged you know, knife in some sense, because if I want to support a business or an agenda or something that's important to me, my, my watch collecting, my guitars, whatever, I love to be able to communicate with the rest of that community on social media. And I'm very fortunate to have millions of followers. And I really enjoy that ability just to get up on a Saturday morning, play a riff on my guitar and ask 7 million people what they think of it. It's a dream come true for me. I'm not asking them for any money. I just want if they like the riff, do they should go in the song or not? And that that's really powerful. And when it comes to business for the same sort of thing, here's a product I invested in. I bought it. I think it really works. It does one thing really, really well like my Bertello pizza oven, it makes pizzas. Well, if I can tell 7 million people about it, the customer acquisition cost drops dramatically in some cases, and this is part of the whole Shark Tank phenomenon, to zero. So I can take a company that no one's ever heard of and, and get it in front of 100 million people. That's the benefit of social media. 
Now, the downside is, and this is the cost of democracy, the way I like to put it, the reason we live in such a remarkable country with such an incredible, fantastic platform for entrepreneurs is that we allow free speech. But the price of free speech is that the lunatic fringe, that two and a half to three percent, they get to speak too. And they are very, very powerful when they have social media on their side. And so if you actually look at all the haters and the naysayers and all the negative stuff that happens on social media, it's about 3%. And the way I look at it is they also deserve a voice. You may not agree with it. It may be the lunatic fringe, but it's free speech and that's the price and it's never going away. And I don't want to give anybody the power to silence it. I don't want somebody telling me what I can listen to and when I should listen to it. I would rather just let them be free. So what I do is I turn off the noise. My daughter says to me sometimes, dad, how can you read these things in these people and not have it affect you? And I say to Savannah, I don't give a shit. It's that simple. Yeah, well, I, you're better. You're a better man than me, Kevin, which is why I always admire you. I used to give a shit. Um, and then the adage that what other people think of you is none of your business. I had to ingrain that into my habits. But I, I did give a shit in the beginning. Now I, I could care less, which brings me to a subject that both of us have been involved in. It's sort of a, an annoyance to me now. We both we're on the FTX situation as investors. We were both proponents of Sam. What do you think we both got wrong in that? I know you have a relationship with Sam and I know he pled not guilty. Where do you think things stand with the FTX situation? Well, I, I don't know if he's guilty or not. I think he's going to have to stand up for his own name. I think he's in a very tough place. I think his family's in a very tough place. And that process will go on. But I think the bigger question is the one you're raising. What did we get wrong? And I, I think, and when I say we, we are, in, we are in a group of some pretty lofty investors all around the world that got involved in this situation. And obviously, uh, we got it wrong. And so what I tell people that, because I've been asked countless times about FTX, and, and I point something out that I've been living with for 25 years. I make venture investments all the time, all the time. And my track record's pretty good over the last 25 years. I've done well. But every time I make them, I realize since 1954, when they started tracking this, this data, is that eight out of 10 will fail for various reasons. That reasons could be fraud. It could be, you know, bad executional skills. It could be bad markets. It could be pandemics. Whatever it is, eight out of 10 are going to fail. FTX is just another 80% failure. It's just another deal that went to zero. I don't like the reasons it went to zero, but it's just another venture investment that went to zero. It doesn't change my life. It doesn't change what I'm going to do tomorrow morning. I've already forgotten about it. How can I not? I've got a lot of other stuff to worry about, i.e. the deals that are working. And I get to work with my team and we do the next venture deal. We're never going to get it right. Now, we thought in the case of FTX, we had the due diligence because there was so much had been done by giant institutions. Turns out nobody could see this coming. And frankly, when it comes to fraud, you never see it coming. Fraud is fraud. That's why they call it fraud. If that's what it is and it's been alleged, nobody could see that coming. And so at the end of the day, this is going to get worked out. And there are 400 lawsuits and all the rest of that stuff. It, to me, at this point, FTX is just noise. How can you not treat it any other way? You can't let it rule your life. You got to move on. And that's what everybody's done. However, it has set back the crypto industry dramatically. And you're well aware of that because you're a participant just like I am. 
And I think there's other shoes to drop. And I think it's very important over the next two years to clean all the rogue operators, all the bad guys out, all the non-compliant, all the opaque, all the stuff that made this happen has to go away because the potential of what crypto can be is a great thing. And I want to invest in it, but I, I just want to get the spatula from the sky and scrape all the crap out of this industry, let the chips fall where they may, and start afresh, regulated, compliant with the great financial potential it has. So let's talk about that, Kev. You, you know, we have a combined 69 years in business together. Okay. Now it's probably 70, but I like the number 69 better than 70. So we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to go with 69. Okay. You know, I mean, we were involved in the NASDAQ bubble. You and I were old enough to remember that when the NASDAQ crashed in 2000, we've seen the ups and downs of a lot of upstart companies, technologies, failures, et cetera. What do you think of crypto? Do we have it right? Do you and I have it right? Or do the naysayers have it right? And I was listening to uh, Peter Zayan the other day. He was on the Joe Rogan show. He says, Bitcoin only has $17,000 more to go until it gets to its fair value. No, we have it right. And, and what we have wrong is the fact that we have let uh, rogue operators take over this and scam everybody out of their money with all kinds of various schemes in, in multiple ways. And I think that has to end because the, the challenge was it wasn't regulated here. It wasn't regulated abroad. And I think countries like Canada are getting it right now. Heavily regulated. Switzerland, heavily regulated. Uh, UAE putting the brakes on there at the ADGM, heavily regulated. And so, you know, going forward, think about payment systems. I've talked about this quite a bit. I'm a big believer in stable coins that are regulated. I think that will be a, a boon to the securities industry. I'm a big believer in blockchain. I'm a believer in the storage of value of, of Bitcoin. I own it. I bought some more recently. There's going to be what I consider, and this is my pathway forward, and I've been asked by regulators and by congressmen and by senators of late. As you know, I went and testified on the Hill. I've had lots of feedback from that. Here's one thing I know for certain, okay, that everybody should think about. These senators and congressmen on both sides of the aisle, having gone through the dance of getting the new Congress in place, that's past us now. Now they can get back to business and try and do things on a bipartisan basis. And one of them is these men and women are sick and tired of having hearings about the next crypto piece of garbage company that goes to zero. They're tired of it. They're weary of it. And they're sick of having their constituents lose all their money. They're really unhappy happy. And when that happens, they get motivated to do stuff. And so my anticipation is that they are going to do stuff and they're going to be very forceful in bringing regulation to this. And so I think the idea of unregulated broker dealer exchanges, I don't care where they are in the world, they're going to get stamped out like the cockroaches they are. That's what's going to happen because there's going to be a passport process put in place. And the way this is going to work is if you want to get licensed in some jurisdiction like the United States or in Switzerland or in the UAE or in Canada, all those regulators talk to each other and you're going to have to be compliant in every Every single one of them, because crypto doesn't trade by jurisdiction. It trades globally. But if you want to have the banking system in that geography where you're applying for a license to be able to upload and download the fiat currency, in other words, how do you get money into your account in UAE or up in Canada or here in the US, you're going to have to tap into the banking system. That's already regulated. And the regulator isn't going to give you that ability unless you're a regulated broker dealer, crypto exchange. And that's how they're going to stamp it out. If you fall out of good standing in a jurisdiction like Canada, 
They're going to shut you down in the U.S. They're going to shut you down in UAE. They're going to shut you down in Ireland and Switzerland because all those regulators are going to form a passport system. That's what I think is coming next. That's how they're going to do it. And so if you're an unregulated exchange now, any unregulated exchange, you better chop, chop and figure out how to get licensed. All right. I want to shift gears. I totally agree with you on that. I want to, this is uh, related and laced into your books. Uh, You come from humble beginnings. I hear you quote your mom often. Let's go back to mom for a second. What was the one thing that has the most lasting impact on you from your mom? Well, it's very simple. When I was a teenager, just became a teenager, she said to me, Kevin, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. And I said, why would you sell me to say that to me? She's because I know you're lying to me right now. And I was, I was. And, and she said, because I know you're lying. And now you've broken our trust. And that's very, very expensive. Now, why don't you just tell me the truth and deal with it? And then I'll know you as not being a liar. And if you make that your, your creed and how you operate for the rest of your life, you won't get into the trouble you are with me right now. And she was 100% right. I learned my lesson in one big moment. And I've done that ever since. Now, it's not easy. I get in a lot of trouble and all the rest of that stuff because people don't like the truth very often. They would rather you lied to them so it doesn't hurt their feelings. I've learned you can't help that because the truth is going to come out eventually. And so that's how I've lived my life. I try and just tell the truth. And that's it. Now, I talk about that in the book. People have a really hard time with it. I mean, telling the truth means you got to tell the truth to your family and your business partners and your significant other in your relationship. And I use that example when I teach my business classes and engineers at MIT and places like Harvard, Temple, you know, all these colleges. I say to them, look, you know, in business, it's like being married. When you fall in love, you have this amazing period of time with your with somebody and you're building this incredible trust and the idea of lying to them doesn't even occur to you. And then the relationship goes on. Maybe you get married and you get you get weak one night and you mess around. And then you have that decision to make. Do I go home and tell the truth and take the heat or do I lie where I was? Here's the problem with lying. The truth is going to come out one day. It's going to slip out. And when that occurs, you will lose 50% of that relationship's equity forever, forever. You will never get it back. There's no way because you can never be trusted because you're a liar versus going back and saying, I did something horrible last night. I was in a bar in a hotel and I, I was weak and I did this and I slept with somebody. I know this sounds incredibly difficult to do, but at least your significant other will respect the truth and your marriage will probably survive and you won't lose the equity that you could have lost. That's the lesson I give in class. But I also say it's the same thing in business. It's exactly the same thing in business. The minute you lose your reputation, the minute you lie, you've given up something that took you a whole career to build your reputation because now you don't tell the truth and nobody can trust you ever again. That's my whole point. I mean, I think I think it is uh, it's brilliant. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on. I I often tell young people, if you keep your integrity, you'll always have opportunity. So whether you and I are getting slammed on a deal or lit up in the press, the people that we've done business with, if they feel that we have high integrity, they'll always come back and want to do business with us. You know, it's it's about playing it straight. Let's talk about lies for a second. What's the best lie you've heard about yourself online? And I can tell you mine. Probably a lot has to do with that I'm not being honest about my terms on deals, that, that, that I'm just being greedy. 
I'm not greedy. I know what I'm worth. And when I ask for something, it's because I think it's well-founded and I'm happy to negotiate. But the amount of you know heat I take for asking for things like royalty or cashback structures, the way I like to structure my venture deals, a lot of people say a lot of bad things. But you know what I, what I say about that, and which has really helped me in the last 14 years, and I certainly put it in the context of Shark Tank as being known as the royalty guy, is why don't you talk to my CEOs before you close this deal? Why trust any of my staff? Why not trust and verify? Why don't you call up the CEO of a company that's been paying me royalties for seven years and ask them if it's worth it or not? I'm not asking you to do something you don't want to do or a structure like venture debt or whatever it is. Why don't you go ask? And why don't they talk to you about me and, and do your own due diligence? Nobody can believe I do that. I do it all the time. I don't have to sell myself anymore. I let my CEOs do it for me. And that's how I bring these deals to a close. I do business the way I do business. If you don't like it, don't do the deal. But I get what I want more than half the time because I bring great value. Yeah, of course. You're obviously adding value. People, plus you're fun to be with. People want to hang out with you. They want to have that association. The biggest lie about me was uh, on QAnon. They said when I got fired, it was some kind of like 3D chess conspiracy. Kevin, I swear to God, it was just me being an asshole at the White House got myself fired. Okay, There was nothing more dramatic than that. But anyway, I just thought that well, was let's funny. Stay, let's stay on that for a second, because th- the reason I admire you, because I didn't know you then, was I watched the absolute blowtorch you went through in the two weeks after that experience. I had never seen anything like it. You got fried like a chicken. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And then, I mean, look, I, I want to call it out because you, you don't take enough credit for it. I mean, I had never seen... It was like an ant under a microscope on a planet where the sun shines 24 hours a day. You know, at least to get a break on Earth, but not not where you were getting fried. And it was just unreal. And then to top it off, and this is where I said he's lost his mind, but I admired you. When you got into that tiff with Trump about things he said about your family. Yeah, he went after my wife. Yeah, went after your wife. I wanted you to say it, not me. But I remember that. And I said, wow, this dude's an Italian crazy guy. And, <laughs> and I, 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 re- I really admired that. And I knew that, you know, I could relate to it. But that that was really a two humps on the camel kind of pressure cooker for you. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate you saying it. Listen, no, I just look, being look true to myself. Look how you came out you know? of it. Your brand survived because right. you told the truth. And everybody that talked about you, because you were like, I had 50 calls a day about you saying, can you believe this guy? And and I said, yeah, I, I, do you not believe what he's saying? I mean, he's really telling it the way it is. And I mean, you got to admire the crap he's going through. But I think you came out of it better than a lot of other people that were trying to somehow distance themselves in different ways from that period of time. And I think you've survived very well. That's very sweet of you to say, you know, like you, I just said what I felt. I think I was exonerated, certainly, about Steve Bannon. I mean, the guy definitely went off the reservation. We don't have to talk about him here because I want to stay on your books and your achievements. What is the thing that you're most proud of? Your kids are amazing. I've had the opportunity to meet them. But I'm talking about professionally. You say, okay, wow, I was so happy that I was able to do that. For, For me... I'll just tell you, I thought I was going out of business in 2008. I thought Skybridge was going out of business. Certainly felt that way. And we made a couple of moves and some of it was lucky and some of it was smart and it was good timing, but we were able to save the business and the business went on to thrive. What was it for you? What do you look back and say, okay, wow, that was, that was a good situation. You know, I, I go back to the decades that I've been a venture capitalist in supporting entrepreneurial drive and identifying people that have that 
they're willing to take those risks and take that journey and I, and I invest in them. It doesn't always work out, but because I've, I've been there before and I, I think there's a, the one way to give back is to go back to, to those people and say, look, I've done what you've done. I know where the potholes are and, and I would love to invest in you and give you some mentoring and, and see if, if we can't be successful. I just, I just love, I love engaging with them and I've got this great team I work with and I hire very, very slowly and I, you know, I fire very quickly because I like to keep my team very intact. I just get energy out of it. It's not work for me. I enjoy everything I do every day. But what I find so intriguing is people think in business, this is the one lesson I've learned, that you have to like everybody you do business with. That's not true. You have to keep your friends and family different than your business relationships because some of my most successful deals are in deals where I invested in real assholes that nobody likes. I like them because they're good at executional skills. Maybe you don't like their personality, but they have great executional skills. And nobody likes these people. And so we hate the guy. We had a meeting with him. He's terrible. I said, wait a second. That sounds like my kind of guy. Let's go meet him. I would, I, I would bet you a third of the companies I'm an investor in, my team hates the CEO for whatever reason. But I love them because they have executional skills and milestones. That's one thing that I've really enjoyed. And the other thing for me is it blown me away over now it's 15 years and I have seven years worth of data that almost 80 percent of my returns have come from companies run by women. And I'm not into this gender warfare crap. I don't care about that. I'm just talking about the outcomes. So I'm very biased in investing in these really strong, matriarchal kind of women that just have real, they're just different. They're just different. They have made me so much money. And so it's the outcome I care about. And so I'm very, very biased. You look at my deal flow now, you find these extraordinary women with very aggressive personalities. And I I love that stuff. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that stat. And so when I hear initiatives from entrepreneurial groups or venture funds that are saying, want to tap in your, your deal flow with women, I'm all for it. It's not about this gender neutrality thing. It's about executional skills. And when people say to me, well, they can't say that. I say, yes, I say that. Yes, I invest to make money. That's why I invest. I'm not trying to save the planet. I'm trying to save the money. People give me money to invest. I want to make sure it gets returned. I'm happy to save the planet and I'm a kumbaya guy, but I need executional skills. And I get that from women. You have probably the most infectious laugh of anybody I've ever met. Like when you're laughing, you are really laughing. We were at an event together when Jimmy Kimmel was lighting up the house and I saw you and your head back really laughing. You have this amazing sense of humor. Okay. How and why? How did you develop that? When do you deploy it? And you even have it about yourself. The rumor is that you came up with the name Mr. Wonderful. Herkovec told me that. And then when he said, (laughs) he said, nobody calls you Mr. Wonderful. And you said, you just did. <laughs> it's probably true. We're trying to find the origins of that. But I like to say that facetiously because Barbara is always on Shark Tank. I've been working <laughs> with those people now for 14 years. And Barbara's always busting me about my royalty deals and all this crap. And I just love to take it all in. But, you know, it's sort of like, I think if you can't laugh at yourself and you can't find some humor because life is so full of drama and bad moments. Here's a typical day and today included. Okay. I've got a lot of deals, over 50 of them. And each day is a passion play. First three calls of the day, it's some tragedy occurring in one of my companies. They think they've got to go bankrupt. It's tied to the crypto space. They're down 80%. And it's just chaos. And, you know, it's all bad news and everything. 
everybody's miserable. And then 20 minutes after that, I get a call in another company that just scored a massive deal in distribution. I mean, it's going to triple their business. And so it goes from like chaos to euphoria. It's all in the same hour. And I say to myself, well, okay, well, how about that? Do they cancel each other out? Or how do I look at that? Should I be miserable from what I'm about to lose over there or happy about what I'm going to make over here? Or maybe it's just one big passion play and you got to take it all in and just realize there's a path to being happy somehow. I love this idea of being happy and happiness. I don't know. People are talking about this is about relationships with people. No question. If you have great relationships. There's no reason you can't be happy. There's lots of reasons to be miserable. I get that, but I don't want to be miserable. I'd rather be happy. And I, you know, I don't need any more money. So that's not going to be the measure of my happiness. I need more time and I want to have fun and I want to do stuff that I like. And I get to do that. I, I don't know. And so if, if laughing, I love, I love it. If we can, if we can have some fun, that's a great thing. There's no question about that. Mooch, I got to tell you, something. It reminds me. Somebody asked me the other day, and I want you to think about this too and give me the answer to this. All these years on television and all the crap you've gone through because of it, if you could start all over again, would you like to be more private? Do you wish you'd never done this? I know my answer, but I want to hear yours first. No, no, no. This has been the greatest silver lining of my life. First of all, if I didn't have a high profile, I wouldn't know you, Kevin. Honestly, I don't think we would have connected because we connected in those circles. I've gotten to do reality television. You know, I was on Special Forces this past week. It had 18 million viewers. I have been all over the world speaking. I've been blessed with unique relationships and friendships. Uh, I couldn't do this podcast if I didn't have a high profile. So for all of those reasons, yes, there is a sting to it. I get snark. Sometimes I've gotten death threats. Sometimes I feel that uh, it's been unfair to my children. But by and large, I would take the whole enchilada again. What about you? Yeah, I am 100% with you. And when I have this discussion with my family that say, particularly during the periods of controversy and, you know, sure. all of these things. Oh, the FTX thing sucked. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a shitstorm. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Right. And, but, you know, I say to them, look, if you look at the cycle of media today, and, and I've been totally transparent on all of these situations and just tell them what I know and, you know, dealing with the authorities and all the rest on it. It's sort of like you got to take that in. It's part of the cost. It is. It and, is. But I go back to my thing. If you want freedom of speech, if you want to have an open society and you want to explore ideas that even you don't like, the lunatic fringe has a voice, too, and they always will. And so just get over it. And all of that stuff is just noise. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, Trump, despite the fact him and I are sparring today, he said two things to me that I'll share, which I think are relevant. Number one, he said, hey, listen, if there's 300 million people in the country, 150 million people hate my guts. But what about the other 150 million people that love me? Just imagine the things you can do. Okay. And his point was, you got 150 million people that love you. Let's go with that side of it. Okay. The second thing yeah. he said to me, I think I got beat up. You know, Reince Priebus was like dropping like oppo research on me in the first couple of weeks of the uh, transition. He really didn't like me for whatever reason. I think because I was a New Yorker and Trump was a New Yorker. And Trump called me, said, wow, that was a really nasty article about you. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, in about two weeks, They'll be writing a nasty article about somebody else and no one will even remember the nasty article that was written about you. And I thought about that. He's by and large right, Kev. It goes by the wayside. The you know? politicians of today are learning something very quickly in the last year, I would say. It's no longer just about politics. you got to have some policy, too. All of this politics is, at the end of the day, boring. Like these infights and these crazy sessions and people get tired of this crap. They want to see the output. I don't care who you are, what side of the fence you're on. Just bring policy forward. 
and then let people decide if it's good policy or bad policy. I thought Trump had good policy on small business during his tenure. And a lot of people tried to tie that to the politics. The truth is, small business did very well during his reign. And now as we overregulate it again, it's not going to do so well. That's my take on it. And I don't know who the next policymaker on small business is going to be. For me, I'm very thankful that we're in total gridlock in Washington. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, say right, take right. an 18-month breather. Let's get nothing done. That's okay. And let's pick it up on the other side. I agree with you on that. All right. So I've got five words. I'm going to say the word and then you're going to say a word. I'm going to play word ping pong. I'm going to say a word. The first thing comes to your mind, you say back to me. Okay, you ready? Yep. Gullible. Green activists. Green activists. Gullible. Okay, good. Passionate. Green activists. Okay. I say Italian when I hear that word passionate. Ruthless. Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> they, they really should be together, though. That they was really two words, be. Kevin. They should be. It should be the syllables combined. Mr. Wonderful. Greedy. Mm. Politicians. Mm, interesting. It's interesting. I say, when I hear greedy, I think short-sighted. I, I want to be long-term greedy. Persuasive. Storytellers. Thanks. Very good. All right. So I've got Barbara Corcoran. She's going to come on in a few weeks. I need you to leave me with a question that I can ask her that will fire her up because we know she can be fired up. Let's just put it that way. So what am I going to say? You have to look, you have to ask her this question because I love her, by the way, but uh, go ahead. No, I love her too. I, we are we are very good friends and she will admit that. And we talk all the time. We're always texting about stuff. However, wherever I go, and these speaking gigs I do all around the world, you know, it's very, a lot in financial services, but people always ask me, what's going on with you and Barbara? And I always say this, and it, it works every time and it has for 15 years. The only reason Barbara gets to the Shark Tank set on time each year is I buy her a new broom. <laughs> so, if you, so if you ask her, what does Kevin get you each year to make sure you're on time on Shark Tank? She'll go out of her mind. <laughs> All right. I got to talk to the FCC on that one. I'll be back to you, see if I can get away with it. I'm kidding. Kevin O'Leary, before we met, one of my kids said to me, do you know Mr. Wonderful? I said, you mean Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank? He said, yeah, I would love to meet Mr. Wonderful someday. And then the good fortunes of life put us together. And, and you know, my kids think the world of you, Kevin. Mr. Wonderful, thank you so much for joining Open Book. I really enjoyed it. I always love these sessions with you. This is absolutely fantastic. Kevin gave us the cold, hard truth, and that's what we like here on Open Book. I love Kevin. He has an amazing way of putting things. Uh, He's a voice of reason, but he's also a voice of agitation. Let's face it, he's testing the metal and character of entrepreneurs. Can they put up with his edginess? Can they put up with his zaniness? And oh, by the way, if they can do all of that, they end up with an amazing partner. Kevin is a workhorse. He's a brilliant guy. He's commercially gifted. I always learn something from Kevin. But listen, listen to what he's saying about the FTX debacle, because he got it wrong. I got it wrong. Uh, And there's nuggets of information in there, how to prepare yourself to avoid what Kevin and I are both going through with FTX. I said to expect the whole mooch. When you tune into an open book, 
Now, to really meet the whole mooch, there's many people you can talk to. But as my fellow Italians know, there's only one person that will tell you exactly how it really is. She may be the person I am today, and I certainly wouldn't have had any of my successes without her. She can tell you about the good and the bad and will probably light my ass up along the way. So I'd like to introduce you to the star of the show, my mom, the one and only Marie Scaramucci. Ma, welcome to Open Book. What channel is it? No, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify, and so forth. Ma, do you remember when you thought Harvard Law School was Hartford Law School? You thought we were going to Connecticut? <laughs> remember that? Yes, I do. Right, do I you remember myself. Oh, everybody was going by. Do you, do you remember when we went on the school tour and you were watching your weight and you you crossed the red yeah. yeah, you crossed mm-hmm. the red line and you weighed yourself on an 1890 scale that said do not touch. You got up on the scale yeah. to weigh yourself. And the and the tour guide said, "Excuse me, Mrs. Scaramucci, could you get off the scale? That's like an antique that was on display at the Hemi. <laughs> you remember that? Yes, I, I remember. Yeah, it was like that. it was like the Beverly it was like the Beverly Hillbillies uh, arriving at Harvard, right? Right. Let me ask you one last question, Ma. What is something that you know about me that nobody knows about me? What is the some one thing you say? Okay, what do people don't know about me? You know, like some people would not know your sincereness and that how you take everyone as equal. You do not take wealth with poor. You treat everyone equal. And I think that's a talent and that you have a sensitive side to you when people of your family have a problem. You help. You don't hold back. Is that a good answer? Yeah. Whatever you think. Whatever you think is a good answer, Mom. Well, that's how I feel. I feel as though that uh, right, you're, you're, 80, you're 86. Are you still watching your weight, Ma? I still try, yeah. Um, I um, and, let I, me, and, I, and I still wear makeup and I like my hair done. All right, let me <laughs> ask you something. Are men, are men still hitting on you, Ma, in the restaurant? Are they making a move on you? You know that they are. And I have someone very much in love with me at the age of 86 without saying names. All right, Mom. All right, you're the best. I got to go because I got to, I got to, <laughs> I got to, I got to call. <laughs> I got a call I got to make. Uh, that's my mom. Did I answer you right? Yes, ma. I love you, ma. That's my mom. I love we're gonna, you very much. We're gonna baby. talk. We're gonna talk to you once a week. We're gonna add you to the podcast because it's so entertaining. All right. All right. I love you, ma. All right. I all love right I'll talk you to you very later. Much, all right. All right. Bye. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me to chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter. It's also at Scaramucci on Instagram. You can text me at plus one, 917-909-2996. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think and who you'd like to see on our show next. I'll see you back here next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.